The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the premiere of the 13th season featuring the 13th Doctor called The Halloween Apocalypse. And we'll get into all the other possible names for it in a second. But first, I'm Dom Bettinelli and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, before we get started, I want to encourage you to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. Send StarQuest, one word, to 66866. Uh, Be sure to stick around to the end of the episode because we definitely have some listener feedback on recent episodes. We want to share that with you. And I also want to share with you uh, another show that's on the StarQuest network that you might like called Raising the Bets. That's a show I do with my wife, Melanie, and I. And if you listen to the recent and upcoming episodes, you'll hear all about the adventures we're having as we are exiled from our home due to damage and just some interesting stuff that's been happening as well as some some cool other stuff. Talk about books and movies and we talk about that sort of stuff, too. So check that out at wherever you find fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. But today we're talking about the final. Finally, we've received the 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 final season, the third season of uh, the 13th Doctor, uh, which has uh, approached. And so before we get into talking about it, I want to turn to you, Jimmy, and ask if you could give us a recap of this episode. OK, spoilers. Ahoy. Uh, <laughs> this is a big one and introduction to a six part story. So here we go. The Doctor and Yaz are hot on the trail of a dogman named Carvanista. At the moment, they're in an elaborate death trap he set for them, but they get out of it and follow him to Earth. On Earth, Carvanista kidnaps new companion Dan Lewis and takes him into space. Also, something is desperately wrong with the TARDIS, but the Doctor is trying to hide it from Yaz. In the course of the story, we meet other characters at different points in space and time. In 1820, we meet the eccentric Joseph Williamson, who is building tunnels underneath Liverpool. In 2021, we meet Claire, who has already met the Doctor and Yaz, though they don't know her as they apparently met her in the past. Afterwards, Claire is sent into the past by a weeping angel. We meet a couple of agents from the Division, the Time Lord Secret Ops Force, who are checking on a prisoner known as Swarm. Swarm escapes from his prison and disintegrates the agents. We meet a couple near the Arctic Circle who also appear to be Division agents, but when Swarm shows up, he disintegrates the male agent, and the female agent turns out to be a transformed version of his creepy sister, who he untransforms into her normal creepy form. Swarm also makes telepathic contact with the Doctor and reveals that he is a longtime foe of hers. They have fought many times when she was in the Division before her memory was wiped and she became William Hartnell. We also meet Dan's love interest, Diane, and she is later compelled to go into an old spooky house where she meets Swarm's creepy sister. And we meet an observer 
in distant space named Vendor. Vendor watches in horror as a phenomenon known as the flux disintegrates three planets in the vicinity of his observation station, forcing him to flee. We're told that the flux will destroy massive sections of the universe and may represent the end of the universe. It turns out that the dogman, Carvanista, and his entire race have been sent to Earth to save humanity from being disintegrated by the Flux, so he was actually saving kidnapping Dan, not just kidnapping kidnapping him. We also learned that the Doctor has been tracking Carvanista because he's the last remaining agent of the Time Lord's division that she can find, but he won't tell her about the division. Oh, and we meet some Santarans who are excited about the coming of the Flux and look forward to having great battles and times ahead. The Doctor manages to help Carvanista's race protect the Earth from the Flux, at least momentarily, but she, Yaz, Dan, and the ailing TARDIS are drawn directly into this, to the disintegrating Flux in an old-style cliffhanger ending, The End. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I just want to say right up front, I think Chris Chibnall picked up a variety pack of sewing materials at his local Tesco because he spun out a <laughs> yeah. lot of threads. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was staring at this thing and kind of in shock. Like, uh, like what more things are we going to, is he going to throw at us in one episode? Well, I, I had to watch this twice because I watched the first time and there were so many things going on. It's just twisting up and down and left and right. And it's yep. trying to figure out who's where and who's what. And, and it by the second viewing, it got a little clearer. But uh, I like the comment I saw online is this feels like some of the old first part classic who episodes, just much more yeah. manic. Yeah, because yeah. they're throwing out so many characters and so many plot threads and so many things that you start to see some com some merging of the threads, but not a lot. And you have to wait right. till the second or third part before they finally coalesce into a, a coherent story. Well, that's kind of what we've got going on right now. Yeah, right. this is a lot like an old style who serial done with modern t new who sense TV sensibilities. So it's a right. lot faster paced. Exactly. In some ways, it's like Trial of a Time Lord, which was, well, oh, let's not compare it to Trial of a Time Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, actually, it's more like the key to time or something. OK, yeah, yeah because Trial of a Time Lord, even though that had a, 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 a frame narrative that linked them, they, the stories were separate. I was thinking right, more yeah. along the lines of a whole season is one is one story yeah. line. Yeah. If, if if except for the TV sensibilities issue, it would be most similar to the war games where it's right. one one connected story right. or the and, Daleks master plan. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Although uh, this does look like there are going to be separate stories because like we know from the, the, the teaser that next week is the, the Santarans. And so it looks like right. each of these threads are going to get a different story at least that's the way it looks right now with just two episodes teased i would be surprised if we didn't if we didn't continue to deal with because there's more than six threads here so they they're gonna yeah. have to bring some of these together and connect them uh yeah. as we go so snap impressions my impression was that this is the most this is among the most interesting things chibnall has done during his time it's mm -hmm. a lot better than a lot of his recent stuff mm -hmm. i would give this a seven or eight out of ten which is quite good for chibnall probably yeah. a seven overall um which is quite good for chibnall this held yeah. my attention it was interesting it did not annoy me repeatedly the way he <laughs> normally does and it's so fast-paced that there was no significant woke 
nonsense so far. Mm-hmm. There's true. there's a little tiny little bit of visual stuff that goes by really fast that you could argue is, you know, kind of subliminal wokeness, but it's only at the subliminal level. It's not in your face hammering it, it you know, on your nose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree with Jimmy completely. I mean, if the, if the rest of the season goes like this is setting up, this could be a very good season. You know, of course, we know it's a six part story. Uh, this is chapter one, as it says in the, the title. Um, but if the rest of the season goes like this story started, this could be we, we could be in for a pretty good season. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's even more than in a way, if it's a more than six part story, because originally this was planned to be eight parts, but they then took two of the parts and made them specials next year to which they added a third special for the centenary of the BBC's, you know, it's 100th anniversary of broadcasting. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm sure they'll give us, it, it won't be a cliffhanger, or mm-hmm. if it will, they'll it will have at least resolved much of the action right. by part six. And then I'm wondering if parts, if the two first two specials are, were originally conceived as part seven and eight right. of this, but they were deemed standalone enough that they could be turned into specials. Well, part right. seven is I'm going to I'm my guess is it's going to be either a Christmas or New Year's special that will be able to stand alone as a as a, you know, a holiday special like they like they've done before. That's my right. guess. And, I, and I'm not denying that. I'm yeah. just saying it may have originally been conceived as a continuation of this story. Right. Right. So uh, my impression, I, 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 well, first I had to turn the subtitles on like, and start again after about two minutes <laughs> in because I had no idea what the heck they were saying when they were hanging from the grav bar. Uh, I, got, I got them turned on before, before <laughs> yeah. er, earlier than that. Yeah, I, I had forgot. Yes, the, the, the Yorkshire accent or yeah, the, the Sheffield accent is, is very thick. And so uh, my impression is I'm in agreement with you guys. This was the most, uh, you know, Moffat and our, our, you know, Russell T. Davies-ish of the Chibnall's uh, era, shall we say. It felt much like what we've expected big, fun premieres of Doctor Who in the modern era to be like. And and, and so mm-hmm. it's ambitious. That's, I, that's the one thing is I'm thinking that he's biting off a big chunk. And let's see, hopefully he can, he can you know, get it all down and, and give us a whole season that's that meets this standard. Uh, there were good episodes last season. I, you know, I hate to, you know, I, I don't want to deny that there were some good episodes. The, the most of the master well, stuff was fun. Yeah. The much of the master stuff was fun. Spyfall part one, I thought mm-hmm. was really good. Also mm-hmm. fugitive of the Jadoon yes. was, was really good. Yep. And where we got, I mean, those two to my mind are the previous best Chibnall episodes, Spyfall yeah. Part 1 and Fugitive of the Jadoon. And this felt like that, only it felt like it's setting us up for six more, you know, for five more episodes like that. Yeah. Right. And I'll see if they can deliver on that. One, one thing I want to comment on the accents, it was, it was funny. Uh, um, I found Dan's Liverpudian accent much easier to understand than oh, yeah. the Doctor and Yaz, though. And and it, again, <laughs> online, I saw people saying, well, do non 
Brits understand this? Like, yeah, I understood him fine. Well, we, in Dan's <laughs> case, we have the advantage of he, being Liverpudlian. We've been listening to the Beatles for, yeah. and the Beatles giving <laughs> interviews for, you know, 60 years. And so we're, yeah. we have a little more familiarity with Liverpudlian accents. That's, and it, it's not, it doesn't seem quite, at least his version of it doesn't seem quite as dense as the Sheffield accents we heard the last two years. So. Uh, speaking of uh, of accents, uh, there was a, a nice funny moment where the doctor is wearing and Yaz are wearing voice activated cuffs and she's trying yes. to get it to release. <laughs> and it won't. She's like, maybe I maybe I was Scottish when I programmed it, which I think was great. <laughs> yeah. And, and and then then she accidentally later says the word relief and. <laughs> And, it, and they come off. <laughs> yeah, that is totally everyone who's ever used Siri or Alexa or any of those things knows that is exactly what's going to happen with, with voice activated. I think uh, Alexa is getting worse. I, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, Alexa is not responding to my voice commands as well as she used to. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole discussion on secrets of tech we should have someday. Uh, yeah, exactly. I want to talk about Car- Carvanista, specifically the actor who plays is Craig Ells, who mm-hmm. was in. There was a mini sode at the end of the the New Year's uh, episode this year that introduced yep. uh, Dan and his friend reading him his horoscope. That's actually the actor who plays Carvanista under all oh, the dog funny. makeup. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Carvanista, the Lupari. Uh, it's not really a dog. Don't call them dogs. It's a dog. Don't worry. He's a dog man. He's not the Michigan dog man. He's the space dog man. (laughs) And there's a long tradition of that. I used to read a comic book that was a lot of fun called Dalgoda, which was about a a dog man from space. And and if you spell Dalgoda backwards, it's a dog lad. No, that's that's good. That's good. Yeah. And uh, of course, the race Lupari uh, brings to mind uh, Lupi. the the word that that's the root for wolf uh, wolf thank you oh, lupus yep. lupus that's right yes. My yeah favorite. I will say they did a really good job on on his makeup CGI I'm assuming it was it was makeup but it looked they, they, they did a pretty good job it looked I, really good I, I wanted to comment on that too it was really good makeup and one one of the things I liked about it was I mean, they paid attention to a lot of stuff like if you look at his teeth. You know, mm-hmm. when you when he's got his mouth open under his mustache, they're not human teeth. They look like little dog teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they've he's got facial muscles that work. Yeah. So his his dog face changes its expression. Um, I, and I, I'm not sure how they did that, whether it was mechanical or built into the applique or, or a result of the applique over human facial muscles or if it was CGI. But at times, I mean, he'll like he'll wrinkle his his face in a way that looks like how dogs do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was impressive. I also like how when he first meets Dan. Dan assumes he's a guy in a Halloween costume (laughs) and he's commenting on the Halloween costume and is like poking him. He's like stroking his fur and and booping him on the nose and stuff. And it's (laughs) that shows confidence, because if they didn't have confidence in the makeup, they wouldn't let the actor poke at it on camera. That's true. That's true. And I, I like the design of it because it's like Dan says, it's a cute dog. And it yeah. and it kind of is at war with how Carvanista acts and talks and and so in our as a you know regular twenty first century p- people we see a cute dog we're like oh a cute doggy no <laughs> and so <laughs> I like that contrast bite. yes I like that <laughs> contrast and speaking of makeup 
they they did a really good job with Swarm as well. Like they did some close ups on his uh, mm-hmm. mouth, you know, with the mm-hmm. te- like again with the teeth and stuff. And they're really paying close attention to that. This is something they did something that I was kind of watching for um, with Swarm. Um, e- growing up, I would watch you know Doctor Who and other sci fi shows where they'd show us aliens. The aliens would have you know unusual skin colors, which was yeah. always interesting. But then I'd look at their mouths, mm-hmm. and in their mouths they have white teeth and red flesh. Yeah, and it's like guys swish some food color around. <laughs> Or something, you know, I mean, give me something other than why does every race in the universe have red inside their mouths? I mean, even Mr. Spock with his green blood, he's got red inside his mouth. So um, so they did something with Swarm. I don't know. I, I suspect they did it in CGI color correction. But yeah. they changed the inside of his mouth so that it's not red. It looks like blue, like a lot of his exterior skin does. I kept calling him like the worst Thanos because <laughs> he kept turning <laughs> people to dust, except he wants to do it to everyone and not just to <laughs> to half the universe. Uh, we we did get a Nitro 9 mention right there in the beginning, yeah. by the way, that which was nice. The doctor using Nitro 9 on Carvinista's uh, droid bots or whatever they call, she called he- them. He must have left some in the TARDIS <laughs> or, or at least the formula. Yeah, yeah. the formula. So I guess we could talk a little bit about each of the threads. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, let's start with the Liverpool one, because that was the shortest thread. There was or we got the least from that. So it's Liverpool, 1820. This Williamson oh, that guy. One. OK, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. digging obsessively uh, for something or some yeah. reason. Okay, so here's the deal about him. Now, um, Joseph, they they just called him Mr. Williamson in this episode. They didn't even give us his first name, but his first name is going to be Joseph because Joseph Williamson was a real guy. He lived in the late 1700s and first half of the 1800s. He was a rich eccentric which means, as we it, it put it in American terms, he was a rich weirdo. <laughs> and he had he was a lot of different aspe- aspects of his life were weird. I mean, he described his marriage to his wife as a cat and dog relationship. Mm. Um, he at one point let loose all the birds in his wife's aviary and, and opined that it would be great if humans had wings and who could just fly away from our problems. Um, but he also obsessively built tunnels under Liverpool and he would hire people and bring them in all these workmen and he would have them building these tunnels and no one knew what it was for and no one still knows what it's for. Mm. Um, and so, um, so what was particularly fascinating to me now I've mentioned, I've talked about this on Catholic answers live. I've talked about this on mysterious world. I often find it it happens to me an anomalous number of times where I'll be learning about something really obscure within a day or two of being asked about it huh. or when mm. it becomes relevant. Well, guess what? Earlier this week, I learned of the existence of Joseph Williamson, and <laughs> I thought he was so interesting. I put him on the list of big of the big list of future topics for Mysterious <laughs> World, and I, I had his Wikipedia page open, but I didn't read it for several days until like Friday, and I finally read his page, and then. <laughs> On Sunday, wham, here's Joseph Williamson in Doctor Who. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and he's apparently not even that well-known in England because I was watching a, a British guy who was reviewing 
uh, this episode. And he was he's like one of the he was a former one of the what culture guys, you know, so they mm -hmm. kind of are fairly knowledgeable about stuff and look into stuff. But even he didn't know who Williamson was. He referred to him as, quote, some dude building tunnels. Close quote. <laughs> and, and it's like, wow, I had no idea that Joseph Williamson was going to be in this. That's so like might, might move up the list. Pretty, yes. Pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about the real Williamson. But but in this, he's telling this this interlocutor, this guy he's talking with, um, who's like, you're you're you've lost your rationality. But he says he's doing it because of the cataclysmic first, like something cataclysmic is coming. And therefore, he's building these tunnels for that purpose. My guess is maybe that's going to play into the 2021 uh the the in liverpool and dan because dan's in mm -hmm. liverpool right, and something yeah. along those lines and dan we know it knows a lot about liverpool history because he's pretending to be a docent at the museum of liverpool uh right. against the rules uh and, yeah. and so i have also, a feeling that those tunnels are going to come in, into play in the future well, Oh, and they obvi they obviously will because they put Williamson in the in not in the preview, but at the end they brought him back in a montage. Yeah, and also um, Claire got transported into the past by a weeping angel. She may have gone to eighteen twenty. Oh, well, and uh, Diane, the her last scene, she's in standing in water, but it looks like she's underground. Uh -huh. Doesn't look like she's outside, so she might be in one of those tunnels. Oh, mm -hmm. when she yeah. got dra drug into that house against her will. Okay. Okay. All right, so that so that's the eighteen Liverpool eighteen twenty. So let's let it let's talk a little bit about Dan. Uh, and as I mentioned, you know he's fun guy so far. So yeah. in the in the the mini sode, the, the mini episode that was released only online, or or no, I'm sorry, it aired after the the New Year special. He's he looks like a workman, some type of like a carpenter, blue collar or, guy. Yeah, some trade, <laughs> some sort of skilled tradesman. In this. Uh, he's perhaps unemployed. He's mm -hmm. working in a food bank. It doesn't have anything in his own house, any food in the fridge. And, and is, in, too, is too it, proud to bring food home from the food bank, even when it's offered to him. Right. 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 It also, it, now I've seen some people say he's unemployed and that's not clear. Right. Um, he is pretending to be a docent. And as actually before that was revealed, as soon as I saw him leading this party of tourists around the Liverpool Museum, I said, he's faking it. He's yeah. just mm -hmm. pretending to be a docent. That's what I would do if I was the writer. And it, that turned out to be the case. But then when he's talking to his love interest, Di or Diana, she tells him, you've got a trade. Do that. Right. Yep. So that sounds like he may not be completely unemployed, just he for some reason he's not doing what he could be doing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's true. He's, that's good. Yeah. He could be some kind of contractor who's just not taking up contracts basically. Yeah. Right, 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 right. That's interesting. Okay. So uh so that's so then Dan ends up uh like we said, running into Carvanista. They're the the Lupari are species bonded to humans. Yeah, this was a great idea, and they're doing species <laughs> recall, yeah. meaning yep. they've been sent to get us so that we won't be on Earth when the danger hits. So we all, each one of us, has a guardian dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that so, would be interesting. So instead, of, so instead of man's best friend, we're dog's best friend. <laughs> right. Right. Well, 
because when they said there's seven billion Lupari ships coming, I'm like, oh, are they doing the whole like we can't have a hundred ships? It has to be billions of them. You know, the whole o- overdoing it. But when mm. they said there's one Lupari and one ship per human being on Earth, uh, I mean, there. If you look at it too closely, there are massive holes in that that idea. I mean, try, killing Yaz would leave one Lupari unbonded with Yaz. What happens to that Lupari? Do they? Yeah, you know, and when a human, how many human beings are born every minute? You know that sort of thing. All right, whatever. So we, we can we don't look they, too closely just, at it. Technology, dude. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Wave a hand. It's Doctor Who. Um, so, <laughs> so I did like that. They 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 took. A, yeah, he takes him prisoner, and it's good because it's it's a sort of antagonistic relationship. Like I'm I'm species bonded to you, but that doesn't mean I have to like you. And I, I kind of yeah. like that. And and in addition to not having to like you, it's it's not just a bond, but it's like their honor to be able mm-hmm. to do this for humans. Right, right. Um, there is. A- I also I also yeah. just love the way Carvanista handles himself at times. Like when when so Dan still thinking this is a human is telling him he's going to report him for kidnapping. And and yeah. that's that's dumb. If you've right. ever been kidnapped, you never tell the kidnapper you're going to report them for kidnapping. In fact, <laughs> you say the opposite if the subject comes up, but you don't bring it up because you, <laughs> right. your, your job is to get out of there and giving them a reason to kill you, like telling them you'll report them, is not what you want to do in that situation. But Dan does it, and Carvanista is like, well, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Go right ahead. <laughs> Report me. Uh, and uh, see, what was the other thing I wanted to say about Carvanista? Oh, he shrunk Dan's house using a miniaturizer. <laughs> is oh. it the master's <laughs> miniaturizer? That's well, what I wonder. And then at some point, I'm sure the master is going to be showing up in the next, either in either this year or in the in the specials. specials. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I don't know if there's a connection there or not. Um, there may be a different connection to the master that has occurred to a bunch of fans that maybe I'll save till later in the show so people can listen to more of it before a potential spoiler. Oh, even okay. though it's just speculation at this point. Sure. Um, but... Um, but remind me by the end of the show. So okay. we give the audience closure on that if they want to know it. But I love how even though um, Dan may not be unemployed, he is now homeless. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. no, he's got his home. Well, it's in it, his pocket. Yeah. Yeah. In a, from a certain point of view, young Padawan. <laughs> Don, Don, he's he's, he's kind of homeless like Dom is right now, where he, he can't live in his home right at this there moment. You go. Just for just, different reasons. I could just be with it. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I got kick. I mean, the very beginning when we first meet Carbonisa, even though he's like a, a hologram, I mean, the traps that he sets up for the doctor, he's like, I'm going to make sure the doctor dies. <laughs> doctor and Yaz dies. So they're sitting on like this, this gravity plate over a pool of, of ocean of acid. Hanging he's from got, a gravity bar. Yeah, hanging from a gravity bar. They're, Upside down. They're, they're handcuffed. It's going to release them in less than a minute. And if if they do somehow happen to avoid that, he's got his little droids that are going to shoot them. Killbots. Which, by the way, they, <laughs> they, they which they, they shoot about as badly as stormtroopers, uh, storm <laughs> but still. But it's just like, OK, this he knows too well. The doctor's going to try to escape from this. Let's just try to make it impossible. Yeah. Spoiler. And the escape. And the sun's going to go Nova. Yeah. All this, yeah, that's right. And the plan's going to get destroyed in five minutes anyway. So if they do escape from that. OK. But, but it's typical Bond's villain th- setup, which is 
or stay with me now. Have the kill bots just shoot them while they're hanging from the thing and yeah, exactly. just kill them. <laughs> yeah. And then let them drop. Yeah. But then they get out of it and they do it on screen and it makes sense. And yes. so it, that's what I liked about it. Yeah. Um, the I also liked how after Carvanista's hologram disappears after telling them about the death trap, um, the doctor says, well, I can't help but feeling this is partly my fault. And Yaz is like, <laughs> it is all your fault. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then she lists the ways in which it's the doctor's fault. Right. And um, and I, I and so we see Yaz. We should talk about Yaz. Yeah. Yaz yeah. is standing up to the doctor much more. Than right. we have ever seen before. Yaz it has learned a lot. She's able to, she's like a, now a lot of the companions over time become like little doctors in that they can handle aspects of what's going on without the doctor holding their hands. And, you know, we saw that with Ace. We saw that with Amy, you know, um, and, and it, and it, and we've seen it with others where they, they like start to learn how to do some stuff with the TARDIS and they learn how to use the sonic screwdriver and things like that. And they, they can anticipate and plan for if this happens, then we do this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so Yaz is now moved into that little doctor role where she's able to do some stuff competently without being given detailed instructions by the doctor. And right. so I like seeing that increased companion competence, but at the same time, just like she and Graham and, um, and um, Ryan, Ryan uh, were starting to stand up to the doctor with all her secretiveness. Mm -hmm. By the time they left, Yaz has continued that. And yeah. she's very aware of what the doctor is being secretive about. She knows the doctor w has wanted to, find Carvanista for some reason that she's not telling Yaz. And it's because Carvanista is a um, is a division agent and the doctor wants to learn about the division. And so apparently the doctor is still hiding all this timeless child stuff mm -hmm. from Yaz. And also then when the TARDIS springs an oil leak, uh, Yaz, it pretty clearly understands this is something really wrong here. And the doctor is trying to shrug it, shrug it off and say, oh, no, the TARDIS is fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. And Yaz <clears throat> isn't buying that. Right. And so um, so I, so Yaz is standing up to her a lot more, which I like because it makes mm -hmm. Yaz more of an agent and less of a victim. Exactly. Right. She's apparently now calling herself former uh, PC Yasmin Khan. Like she's like she's moved into the TARDIS full time. You know, that's that's a clear mm -hmm. clearly what's happening. Yeah, and she's they're much more equals. Like that's one thing that kind of characterizes the thirteenth doctor is is a much more of an equal footing between the companion and the doctor. I mean that that's was from the beginning, from the first season. Yeah, only totally hypocritically. Because yeah. um because she's she's has a much I mean she talks about having a much more horizontal structure in the TARDIS. But no She's she's keeping secret. She's putting on the veneer mm -hmm. of treating companions more like equals, but actually she's keeping them way at arm's length. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but she's she's having these visions of Swarm, the, this this figure that supposedly they fought, you know, millennia ago or whatever, but that she doesn't remember because, of course, it's been wiped from her memory and she's not telling Yaz anything about it. She's not saying there's this figure. I don't know who this is. I don't know where he's coming from, but 
So she's she's doing her MOT checkup, which uh, it's a phrase that those of us in the United States who might not be familiar with. It's Ministry of Transportation. It's inspections of vehicles. So yeah. basically, she's getting her her vehicle, her mind uh-huh. checked up to see what's going on, try to figure out what's going on with this this swarm. So let's talk about swarm. Now that we bring him up, um, we start with she's get this psychic link. He's specifically showing her his escape from this prison called the Burnished Rage Battleground. I think they called it. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder, I wondered about that name. I kind of snagged on it because it's a great name, Burnished Rage Battleground. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, I, I'm of two minds about. I don't think the audience is going to understand much of the audience is not going to understand that name. Mm-hmm. And I wonder to what degree Chris Chibnall devoted conscious thought mm-hmm. to that, because burnish, it sounds like burned. And mm-hmm. that's how most people take it. So if you talk about a burnished rage battleground, you, you're thinking like, oh, something that's been set on fire. You know, it's like burn, it's like a burned forest or something. But that is not at all what the word burnished means. Burnished means polished. Right. right. And actually polished rage sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, there was some polished rage that led to this battle on the, on this ground. But I'm I'm I wonder how much uh, Chibnall is expecting the audience to understand that name or think or misunderstand it. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it does kind of sound like one of those names they like to throw out that sound smart, but really just kind of a bunch of words they threw together. Yeah. I mean, Burnished Rage, if you understand, if you know what the word means, it is an interesting concept. Like the the idea of someone has been, you know, it's almost like polishing, st- polishing yeah. their yeah. grudge, stewing in exactly. it. Like, like you burnishing has this idea of of not just cleaning something, but of making something more. Sh- yeah, making yeah. it shine. Right, right, right. Getting it more ornate or more uh, visible or more of itself. So, yeah. So Swarm ends up is has apparently been held in as a prisoner for from the dawn of time, from the dawn of the universe. Well, they say they the agent who says that mentions that they exaggerate, though. Right. Mm-hmm. So but for a very long time anyway. Uh, and he Man, it has apparently been biding his time, waiting for them to show up so that he can escape and uh, turn them to dust. Uh, then he, we sh- he also, when he absorbs the energy from the first uh, Time Lord agent, division agent he, yep. he kills, he like it, it, there's this physical transformation that uh-huh. occurs and his voice changes, too. Mm-hmm. And um, and he says renewed at last. Yep. And that's originally that was the original word for regeneration. Yeah. In in Patrick mm. Troughton, when Patrick Troughton came in, he didn't say I've been regenerated. He said I've been renewed. And I'm wondering if there is a timeless child connection here um, right. with because uh, we see his sister similarly in a different form where she looks human before mm-hmm. her true form is revealed. And I'm and I'm and obviously him and his sister have history with the time Lords. And so I'm wondering what the connection is here. Um, And I don't know what it is, but I'm thinking there may be one. It's almost like regeneration. In other words, that's uh, what he goes through is, although you don't have the, you know, the Archon radiation and all that sort of stuff. 
Uh, right. Well, he's got a different a different kind of of effect that they show, kind of a yeah. uh, you know, like particles coming off of the person he's absorbing. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, because before before he had that, he took on that that uh, agent. He looked very, you know, gaunt, very, you know, skeletal. S- you know, yeah. Skeletal. Yeah. You know, and very weak. And whether or not that was part of that was the act that he was putting on to like, you know, oh, you've got me. You know, I can't do anything. Oh, wait, you're wrong. I can. Yeah. Or if that was just, you know, again, like you said, it was a regeneration, whether or not it's regeneration as the Time Lords understand it, mm-hmm. or if it was more of a uh, renewal, mm-hmm. you know. What do you think is the connection between Flux and Swarm? Well, the obvious one, and I don't know if they'll go with the obvious one, you know, but from a writing perspective, the obvious one is he is he is unleashed it or in league with it, or it's somehow he and the flux have the same, have the same goal. Mm -hmm. Now it's possible that he's in direct control of it, but it's also possible that he's not, he may be allied with it because after all, he's just one guy and he's got his sister, but he's otherwise he's one guy. It's kind of like the master. The master is a, um, is just a guy. He's a madman with a box, and but mm-hmm. and so he constantly needs to ally himself with more powerful forces, which is why we see the master being allied with the Autons and the Daleks and the Cybermen and all mm-hmm. these other villains over time. And so they portray Swarm as if he's kind of like the Doctor's original master. You know, because right. he he refers to how you and I have this special relationship and we've fought so many times and now it's our last dance and stuff. But he's still just one guy. So mm-hmm. so presumably he's been involved in master like plots before with the doctor. Right. Let's talk about oh, by the, the by the oh. way, just one little mm-hmm. thing I noticed, and I don't know if this is intentional or not, and it may not mean anything, but if you look at the asteroid that he's held on, mm-hmm. it looks like a cyberman head made mm. out, made out of stone. I mean, it's mm. not perfect, but it looks right. like a really aged you know like it it's visually evocative of a cyberman head, okay, right? okay, it was to me anyway um okay, that is interesting, so. Let's talk about the uh, the couple living in the Arctic Circle. So it turns out Earth is a nice repository for Time Lords to hide people. <laughs> because mm-hmm. just like uh, Fugitive of the Jadoon, we have a Time Lord hiding with a another person, although this time not a, a Gallifreyan, but, but she's apparently had her memories removed. She doesn't know who she actually is, just like Ruth. And you know, this couple, as soon as I saw them, I said, this is like Ruth and what's his name? Yeah. yeah. Um, you have a you have a dominant uh, black woman with a subservient white man living by themselves in a in a in a constructive relationship. You know, mm-hmm. they have a positive relationship. Um, and then, oh, and then it turns out they've they and then it seemed confirmed when this alien probe thing shows up and apparently summons them for something and uh, the lady who I don't think we ever get the names Anna of the mm-hmm. Anna, she's okay. Anna when she's human looking and Azure Azure the blue hmm. uh, okay. As, oh okay yeah. well they don't use that name on screen it's in the credits um, but yeah yep. yeah so so Anna then smashes the now uh, the guy says oh well 
we were told this would never happen except in case of extreme necessity or -hmm. extreme emergency. And she says, we didn't get the warning and smashes the probe. Right. And so they're totally setting us up for these are former division agents. Mm -hmm. And and then it turns out they're it's more like witness protection or high Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, Why they wouldn't just imprison Azure like they did her brother Swarm, I don't know. Right. But uh, maybe she like, I don't know, maybe she wasn't as bad as him or something. But um, uh, I do like that after he's killed her companion guardian guy, he's he's about to she thinks he's about to disintegrate her. And she says, why is it in my mind to say thank you? Right. Yeah. And and that's just her subconsciously remembering her real relationship with Swarm and subconsciously understanding what he's about to do. What I don't understand consciously or subconsciously is if this is Halloween and we're in the northern hemisphere and this is the Arctic Circle, (laughs) why is it daylight instead of dead of night? (laughs) right right yeah at any point yes uh that's true the uh the the time limits have apparently changed their philosophy at some point on capital punishment because you know if if swarm is this dangerous i mean they were going to execute the fifth doctor was it the yeah the fifth doctor for for crimes that were apparently much less than whatever swarm has done, but it's interesting. Maybe they can't kill him or, or something, but uh, well, even when they did the fifth doctor, they said that they hadn't executed someone in centuries, you know, right. that had been such, you know, forever since they've last done that's, it. That's so true. it's not something they do often. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's the, the, that couple, there's not a whole lot more to say to, about them. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about Claire who again, timey wimey uh, has apparently met Yaz and the doctor already well in her past and i get the feeling though the way she kind of talked about it where she is going to have met the doctor where it was her future she knows that in the future she's going to meet the doctor it hasn't happened yet for her either because there's there's some weirdness about the way she she, phrases it about about how i'm going to meet this person i wasn't expecting it to be today Oh, okay. But if I, because she said something about or, if I know my, well, if I know my past, if it's the doctor's, if it's the doc, if she, if the doctor has not met her, so when the doctor does meet her in Claire's past, she'll probably say we're eventually going to meet on how you know at some point. Yeah, and and that that might explain why there's, she's saying there, it like there's that. There's some there's some wibbly wobbly timey wimey going on with this, and I but like it, that, and yeah. I like how it's not. I like how they don't make a bigger deal out of it than they do. Because on a time travel show, meeting people out of sequence should happen all the time. More yep. than it does. And more than it does. <laughs> and and we're finally starting to see that. I mean, they've had little bits of it in Classic Who, the most notable bit of which was the arrival of Melanie Bush, where the doctor hadn't met her at the time they met. And mm-hmm. she was the the original companion from the future. But then they very quickly dropped that mm-hmm. and didn't right. explore any of the potential for Melanie as the companion for the future from the future. And then in new who river song where she, Mm -hmm. they really explored that and paid it off. And now that they've done that, 
meeting people out of sequence should settle into the background of the show. It should be something that happens periodically, and normally it's not a big deal. But occasionally it may be. I wonder if Claire is going to be the 14th Doctor's companion. Although she recognizes Yasmin. Uh, I mean, uh, but... Well, they could they could do that, but I don't I don't know that they will. Interesting. But she does. She has apparently run into the Weeping Angels before because she recognizes it and knows what to do. She says, don't blink, you know, and the whole thing, except when she does. Exactly. Um, And so we so and that means we've got the Weeping Angels involved somehow for some reason chasing her down. Uh, So we've got Weeping Angels. We've got Suntarans. Maybe in the next four, five episodes, we'll see Daleks and, and, and Cybermen, too. I, I think there is there. There has been said that they are going to have Daleks and Cybermen's coming. Yeah. So, coming later to as as part of this whole flux as the universe breaks down, it's going to start. And there's a, there's a, um, a 3D game that you can get now that it involves that, that you're someone who's helping the doctor and, and you're facing Cybermen and all the, oh, this. A I, VR I know, game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not just VR. It's, oh, okay. it's just a regular like first person type game oh, okay. that I think you can play VR. Yeah, um, but it's it's kind of one of those mist type games where you've got to run around and collect things and do this and that to help the doctor and all that. I, um, yeah, obviously it's not not canon, so but it might be fun to play. But uh, I think it I, I think it ties into all of this. It shows another view of what's going on with all of that going on this uh, storyline. Now with with Claire, there, there's been again you know looking at what people are kind of speculating online is that she's being sent back to 1820. Now, we right. don't know this for sure. We don't know where she was sent, because all we saw her was kind of in a wooded area Correct. or a grassy area. But we don't know beyond that exactly where she's at. So she might have been sent back to 1820 Liverpool, or she could be another threat at another time. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's uh, that, so, And that's about all we get from Claire. There's not a whole lot more. I mean, she's she kind of talks a little bit about uh, I didn't expect to even come this way and I'm not sure why I run into you. So there's, there's a sense of she was, there's a, a fate uh, or something directing her steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then let's talk about, about uh, observation outpost Rose, which is an interesting choice of a name. Obvious, uh, mm-hmm. obvious wink to the audience there. That's a bit, yeah. clearly a bit of fan service. Right. Uh, and then there's this guy on board called Vinder who is, I guess he's, he, he's a recurring character, a step above all of the other parts of this. Like he's, mm-hmm. they're, they're, he's, he's a little bit more like a companion than he is like the rest of them, like Claire and Diane. Uh, so I, I think from it, what we've been led to believe, although he led, hasn't even, yeah. he hasn't even met the doctor yet. Right. Right. So he's By on way, this. What's yeah. the name of the guy? What's the name of the main character in Red Dwarf? I've never oh, watched uh, Red Dwarf. Hmm. Oh, it's it's like Linder. Um, it's been a year since I watched it. Yeah, let me see if I can pull it up. It may Lister. take a minute. Lister. Lister. Okay, so he, this guy reminded me of Vinder. Reminded me of him. Huh. Yeah, because he's this single guy out on a spaceship by himself, keeping mm-hmm. himself entertained in a really boring environment with talking to the ship systems and things like that. He just needs a cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or he's like a guy on a on an orbiting satellite uh, thing <laughs> watching old movies with his robots. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, he, his his dialogue is interesting as he's making his report, he's talking about how nothing is happening and he's he's saying it in a very professional business-like way, but you can tell from what he's saying that nothing has happened like ever in his right. 
tenure here. And then he pivots to talking about, on the other hand, he gets to see all this cool stuff and he starts talking about how grateful he is that almost nobody gets to see stuff like this. And then as he's signing his report, as always, I wish you to go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then something, something finally happens and the flux shows up and he, he ejects just in time from the, the observation post and, and gets away. Although yeah. So the, yeah, I wonder is the flux like a wave passing through the the universe, or we don't know. We don't know what it is. We don't know yet. Visually, it is a wave of stuff that kind of, that. I mean, it looks like it's made out of matter. Now they who yeah. knows what they're going to say. Yeah, but it 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 looks like it's it's this chaotic cloud like sort of cloud like um, energy ribbon. Sorry, thing that that disintegrates whatever it comes into contact with. Right, right. Um, so we we see briefly, like you mentioned, Jimmy, the Sontarans. There's not a whole lot to say about them here because oh, we're going to see them in the next episode. They're thirty trillion light years away. We're told. Yeah. And yep. it's, oh, this is. I I don't know if this since since they don't normally tell us how far we are away. I don't know, but this is like the farthest away they've ever said. 30 trillion light years is way over the cosmic horizon. We cannot see that far. Uh, The universe is like 90 something billion light years away. And this is three orders of magnitude beyond that. Mm. (laughs) So outside the known universe. That would be interesting. Uh, I wonder if it's just an error. (laughs) That would be interesting if they're trying to if they're trying to do something with that. Mm -hmm. let's I liked I liked the conversation between the um, the Suntarans because one of them is some kind of psychic explorer and he's sussed out what's happening with the flux and and when they when he his hologram first appears to make his report to the other to the Suntaran leader um, the Suntaran leader notices that uh, that you look terrible and yeah. he says, well, yes, my task has drained and withered me. And your appearance is hideous. It's <laughs> like, yes, no need to dwell on that point. Your appearance is very hideous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I know. <laughs> um, so the the doctor end, ends up confronting Carvanista as a division agent, which I think is very interesting, given that. Uh, till this point, we kind of assumed that the division was all Time Lords. So right, right. apparently they're recruiting outside the Gallifreyan uh, race. Uh, so interesting. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Um, and that she did not know that there were other division operatives. She calls them the last division operatives. she operative. could find alive. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, but there were others on Earth and may even still be more, which would be interesting. Um, but no, we don't get a whole lot there. So. I mean, is there, I don't know if we missed anything. I think we covered everything. But Jimmy, you well, said you had something you wanted to say about the master too. So I don't know well, if you want to do that now. B- before we do that, why don't we do our, our closing notes? Um, Father Corey, did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Well, one thing, you know, we see is when the, the, the swarm is, or the, the, uh, the flux is chasing the, the TARDIS, the, the doctor unleashes the vortex energy from the heart of the TARDIS. And of course, oh, that's yeah. going all the way back to the, the final episode of season one. Right. You know, or uh, Rose absorbs that. So another another Rose connection. Hmm. Now, as far as I as far as I know that there's no there's that's as far as the connection goes. Yeah. Um, 
Let's see, was there something else? Oh, uh, Dan Lewis calls himself an official Scouse. Well, Scouse is, is the term for the Liverpoolian accent, but it's also kind of a term for a person from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, kind of, kind of, a, kind of the, 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 common term for it if you will you know where so he's he's kind of saying you know i'm just an average liverpool putty and i'm just you know and i'm gonna be the official one for your museum uh so that, that was a term i hadn't heard before it's kind of kind of an interesting term and then just kind of my kind of final impression is i mean this like i said at the beginning there's going to be a lot of threads that they're going to tie together and if they if they keep going first of all that the the pace this episode went it's going to be a very tiring ep- a season right uh but very good one i mean this could be one of the best seasons it has a potential to be one of the best seasons of new who uh if it keeps going the way this episode did but right. we'll have to wait and see you know chris chibnall's shown the ability to pull defeat from the jaws of victory so <laughs> right um I actually had one more note that I wanted to mention that I yeah. forgot to, to bring up was uh, the TARDIS doors. Mm, uh, yeah. We oh, yeah. The, so uh, among the TARDIS's problems right now, including the, the leaky oil, uh, is uh, the door, like it keeps spawning new doors in different places, including the floor at one point. Uh, so yep. something is definitely up with the TARDIS. Something is messing with it. So that, I think that's interesting. Uh, so, Jimmy, what did you have to... Uh, let's see. So uh, one note on their escape from the death trap, which I like how they how they escape because mm-hmm. it's, they do it piece by piece and each of the pieces makes a kind of sense. And so I like that. At one point, the gravity bar they're hanging from snaps in two and we have this moment that is deliberately evocative of Quidditch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it looks like they're flying on what mechanical broomsticks of a sort. Um, I like how... Uh, when Carvanista shows up and he's trying to get Dan to go with him when they're he's, they're con- he's confronting him in his house, um, he like he, he we have a, a Jedi mind trick moment yeah. where he mm-hmm. he waves his hand and it's like, you will not resist. You will come with me. And Dan, you will do exactly what I say. And Dan says, I don't think I will. And he tries it again. It's like, you will not resist. You will do exactly what I say. It's like, no, I don't think so. And so he's apparently got a device on his wrist. So this is how the the Lupari are planning to take humans. They've got a wrist device that allows them to do Jedi mind tricks to get the human to come along willingly. But mm-hmm. Carvanistas is not working. And to figure that out, he sniffs at it. <laughs> which is yeah. what a dog would do. If a dog is trying to figure something out, they sniff at it because they're primarily <laughs> olfactory creatures rather than visual creatures like us. Right. right. So I thought that made a lot of sense. It was just a little throwaway thing. I don't know if it was in the script or not, but it was a great choice. And I like yep. seeing that. That's good. Um, so for some time, or at least a while in fandom based on photographs from the set there has been a rumor that the TARDIS is dying and mm-hmm. and that seems to be confirmed here because there's something seriously seriously wrong with the TARDIS they're going to have to build that into a major plot thread and resolve it mm-hmm. one of the um speculations in fandom has been that the doctor will end up going back to old Gallifrey to try to find something to save the TARDIS Mm. Um, but, uh, but I don't know that they need that because she's already on the hunt for the division and the division is from old Gallifrey. Right. Um, so there's that. I do think though, that 
if they're going to have something seriously wrong with the TARDIS like this, they need to make it fairly big in the in the mm. story because the TARDIS is the Doctor's oldest and first companion. Yep. Right. And the threat of losing the TARDIS needs to have emotional weight for the Doctor. So even though the Doctor needs to save the TARDIS in the end, we need to see her go through what it would be like if she saw the death of a companion coming. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. Um, now, speaking of TARDISes, Dan says something very interesting when he first gets on board the TARDIS. Uh, the they they're in a run for your life situation. And so they they don't have time for him to stop and wonder. And the doctor and Yaz explain to him really quickly what the TARDIS is and note that it's bigger on the inside. And Dan seems oddly unimpressed. And then he says the very interesting thing. I had a mate who had one of these. I think his was a bit bigger, actually. Hmm. That's right. Well, that's a line (laughs) that could pay off in some very interesting ways. Right. And the doctor then turns to him and says, by the way, here's your house. Ho- giving yeah. him the miniaturized house. <laughs> yeah. And so with it's like, we've got master vibes going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, uh, not so they've released footage like in the trailer that the Cybermen are definitely coming back. And it's going to be the warrior type, the cyber warrior type ones not the cyber masters that we right. saw last time. Um, I, it's apparently been written that the Daleks are coming back and apparently Graham is oh, coming back. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Um, I don't know how much, but, uh, but he's apparently coming back and there's even been some hint that Ryan might too. Now that could just be like cameos for the regeneration episode. Mm-hmm. Right. But apparently we're going to see him again. So those are my notes. Now, the master theory. Uh Uh-huh. Pun intended. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Swarm is a very interesting character who apparently is a lot like the master. We Mm -hmm. know that the master has a tendency to be introduced in these shows under another guise usually played by whoever the actor is that's playing the master. Mm -hmm. But in this case, Swarm is not played by Sasha Dewan. Mm -hmm. However, Swarm is a lot like the master and often the accurate, the name of the character that is eventually revealed as the master is, um, is like based on the word master or is an anagram of something like, Harold Saxon, Mr. Harold Saxon is an anagram of master number six or things like that. Hmm. Um, And uh, so people have been thinking about, okay, we've got all of these recurring villains. We've got Santarans, we've got weeping angels. There's something coming up called the Ravagers that may or may not be the same as Swarm and his sister. Hmm. Swarm S Santarans. W.A. Weeping Angels are mm. Ravagers. Who could M be? 
Interesting. Interesting. And so yeah. I wouldn't put it past him to say Swarm is a version of the Master, and that'll eventually be revealed. And the fake out is deeper this time by having a different actor play the pre-reveal character who may eventually turn into Sasha Dewan. Um, and that would then establish more parity between the doctor and the master because they have a deeper history, both of them, than their current lives. Remember how Sasha Dewan was all torn up about the fact that since regeneration came from the doctor as the timeless child, there's a little bit of the doctor in him and he hates that. Mm-hmm. Well, they might keep that, but renewed again. Maybe he's got a deeper history, too, and that establishes the two of them that elevates the master again to being the doctor's true Moriarty instead of just some time lord that is that took a dislike to her. Interesting. Interesting. That would be. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking this this, along the lines of the swarm and the master swarm maybe being a form of the master at at some point. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I personally, I mean, personally, first of all, I hope if they do bring the master back, if Swarm ends up being the master or the master ends up being involved with Swarm, that it is Sasha Dewan. I would be very disappointed if they don't bring he, that actor back because I thought oh, he did a yeah. masterful job, pun intended, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> as the master. Sasha Dewan's definitely coming back at some point. You know, but I, 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 I you know, I, unfortunately, know, knowing some of the writing like Chris Chibnall and company do that, it, the easy route would be to make that, yes, Swarm is actually the master. I'd like to see Swarm be a different bad guy from before the whole timeless child thing. Uh, if nothing else, that gives the excuse to bring back Dr. Ruth as well. Yeah. Right? I, 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 I don't have an indication of her coming back this season, but I would love it. Yeah. 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 So, so I don't know. It's, I just, I don't want to see them say, well, swarm is really the master, but I do like the idea of the acronym saying that the master will be returning one way or the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and again, if it's Sasha Dewan, that'll be fantastic. That'll be amazing. Interesting. Uh, well, we'll we'll see. This is a, like as we said at the top. This was a a epic beginning of this season of of uh, Doctor Who. So we're, we're looking forward to what's coming next next time. I mean, if our with the length of our co- uh, conversation is any indication, we talked for an hour about this so far, and so it uh, oh, yeah. it, it look, it's looking good. All right, I did promise some listener feedback, so let me get to that now. Uh, from our recent episode uh, 249 on the enemy of the world, that's the second Doctor story, Ted sent in an email. He said, every time I watch a second Doctor serial, I think that Patrick Troughton has the looks of Mo Howard and the voice of Clarence the Guardian Angel from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> You're not alone on that one, Ted. Uh, hmm. This was a fun serial. I, I see the Mo yeah. Howard thing, but I haven't watched It's a Wonderful Life recently enough to, to have a feel <laughs> for the Clarence's voice. It's more of the the style of speaking, I think that that might mm-hmm. be part of it. Yeah, he's got that that way of, of talking. Uh, he says this was a fun serial. I always like the chemistry between Jamie and Victoria. It seems like there's a lot of affection between the characters. Uh, and then lastly, like you all or y'all for Jimmy, I liked that there is a. I enjoyed Astrid's character. That's what he said. I liked yeah. the way that Dom beat around the bush and finally said, and she's very attractive. I mean, I didn't want to make that the the first thing that I say about her. That would be shallow, uh, even though I was tempted to. I think from now on, you should just get right to the point and to use one of Jimmy's phrases. She has dad appeal. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I actually, I, I, I actually, based on this feedback, I actually used that in a recent uh, in a recent Doctor Who uh, review. Although I 
don't know that it's come out yet. It, it probably may has come out after mm-hmm. this season. Yeah. Right. Uh, my, I just think it's something you, my, my dad and my brothers and I used to do uh, is uh, whenever we'd be going somewhere and there would be an attractive young lady and we'd all turn our heads to look, we'd look at each other and go, I think I went to school with her. That's, that's why. <laughs> so that, that has become the, uh, the phrase now. I think I went to school with her uh, for an attractive young lady. So uh, good. Thank you, Ted, for that feedback. And uh, it, what do you guys think of this chemistry between Jamie and Victoria? I mean, they don't get a lot of time together in the TARDIS. No, they have chemistry. And I find it what I find really interesting about Jamie and Victoria is they're both from the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And having having that as having two characters from the past and different periods of the past, but still from the past is an interesting choice. It's not the one that would naturally occur to me, but they they work together as characters and they have very different personalities, even though Victoria has 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 spunk as she shows in this episode. I mean, she's not just a passive screamer. She is she has some agency. Yeah. Um the more natural pairing is one we haven't gotten to yet, but will before too long, before too many more cycles with Patrick Trout. And the more natural pairing is Jamie and Zoe. Because mm-hmm. Zoe is from the future and having the boy from the past and the girl from the future is a natural pairing. Mm, and right. and they both serve as natural extensions in a way of Patrick Troughton's doctor, because we have companions that contribute things, you know, that serve as agents like many doctors. Well, mm. as we were talking about earlier, well, Jamie is kind of the physical agent of the doctor and Zoe is the intellectual agent of the doctor. So okay. we do see things like Zoe knowing how to run the TARDIS and arguing with the doctor about science and stuff. Right. Okay. Now there there was a uh, special for the twenty fifth anniversary, uh, twenty or thirtieth anniversary, thirty years in the TARDIS, and I, I believe it was the thirtieth anniversary. Um, and they they were interviewing different staff members and or different people, crew members, and everything. And Deborah Watling admitted that she had a crush on Fraser Hines, so that might be <laughs> playing to, through on screen as well. So that could be. And apparently, he was a heartthrob for a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's got a little Davy Jones thing going on there. Uh, from the monkeys. Uh, so then on our episode 250, the rings of Akaten, I said it, John <laughs> says on Facebook, now I want to see a running gag where Jimmy and Father Corey drop as many surprise references to this episode as they can, just so Dom has to keep on saying Akaten. Ha! <laughs> ha! <laughs> Go right ahead, I say. I've got it now. Anyway, I've been. Pra- they will have to plot something out. <laughs> yeah, I've been practicing in just for this feedback. Yeah, uh, and then uh, here's a little bit of a throwback from a new listener who's been going through our our, our back catalog uh, from episode 196 on Vincent and the Doctor. Lynn sent an email. She said, "Thank you for stating that depression is not a moral failing or a character flaw, but a disease. As one who suffers from depression, mm-hmm. I'm often told the opposite, or else it is implied." It's refreshing to hear someone speak up in support of folks with mental illness struggles instead of speaking against them. This is why I adore this episode of Doctor Who above most others. I'm very glad to have found your podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And and thank you for writing in with that feedback, because it helps other people in the audience to hear that as well. In addition to us saying it, Um, anyone who who implies that depression is a moral failing or a personal failing or something like that is someone who's never experienced it. Um, after yeah. my wife died, you better believe 
I had depression and it is and and it's it wasn't my fault and I knew yeah. it but that didn't mean I wasn't really sad and so um when you've had a when you've experienced depression it is it it gives you a new perspective on it and mm-hmm. it is not to be dismissed and I love the Vincent van Gogh episode for the same mm-hmm. reasons yeah and of course you know in recent decades as more and more research has been done into brain chemistry and things like that how depression actually uh comes about it's very clear that it's much more a physical uh, psychological issue than it is a moral failing it's things that there are treatments for there are it, ways to care for it it's simply not and, a moral failing it yeah yeah it's, it's yeah it's not a moral failing at all yeah sorry I, I wanted to make that clear it's not a moral failing at all right um you know, and it's so it, it's it's something that if, if someone is struggling with, there is help out there. There are people who want to help you at a minimum learn how to live through it and at best learn how to get beyond it if you can. Right. You know, and so which is often absolutely. often quite possible. Yes. Yeah, I, absolutely. So, yeah, that, no, that's great feedback. And, you know, glad to make sure to get that out there. Yes, definitely. It cannot be said often enough. Excellent. Well, thank you all for your feedback. We 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 love getting feedback, and I'm sure we're going to get some feedback on uh, this season. And uh, we want to definitely hear from you. If you send audio feedback, I definitely love to play that as part of the show. So if you uh, want to record that, you can record it on your phone in the Voice Memo app. If you're you know on in, most smartphones have one of those, and, and share it. share or email it. Yeah, email yeah. it to uh, Doctor Who at sqpn dot com. Exactly. Yep. So. Uh, so that should do things for us. I want to first take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Ken M, Patricia T, George W, Aaron V, and Hesha. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So what did you think of the Halloween apocalypse, this first chapter of the Flux series 13 for the final season for the 13th Doctor? You can let us know, like I said, by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Chapter 2, War of the Santarans. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, what's the point of being alive if not to make others happy? Music.